chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And in a moment we're going to be reading from the first 28 verses of Exodus chapter 12. Which looks at the institution of the Passover as God's people were being brought out of the land of Egypt. A land of slavery, a land of bondage. Our theme for the communion season, as we mentioned earlier, is the Lamb of God. And we're going to be looking at how various parts of Scripture point toward that Lamb of God. Uh, This evening, this pre-communion service, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Day coming, as we prepare our hearts to partake of the bread and the cup as we prepare our hearts to to receive Christ by faith and by faith alone. Um, We're going to look at the Old Testament Passover given to Israel as a people. And on Sabbath morning, we're going to be looking at how in the New Testament, John the Baptist himself positively identifies who the Lamb of God is, the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then on Sabbath evening we're going to be looking at where the Lamb is today. Victorious, glorious and triumphant in the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at that in Revelation chapter 5. Now before we read scripture and before we invite all true believers in Jesus Christ on the Lord's Day to partake of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, it is vital that you're a Christian. That might seem so obvious to many of us, but it is so vital that you are a Christian because the consequences are very severe for someone who's not a Christian to partake of the bread and the cup. Scripture is very clear that anyone who is not a believer and drinks in an unworthy manner brings upon himself more wrath and eats and drinks damnation. These are signs and seals of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Christ is offered spiritually to the sinner and the only way we can eat and drink in a worthy manner is by faith in Christ Jesus alone. It's evidenced by a a faith that shows willingness to learn from God, to accept his word, uh, to be brought into the bosom of the church, to be nourished in the bosom of the church by by being a member of the church. So with that in mind, before we read the scriptures, we're going to look at our terms of membership as a church. And dear friends, these are the evidencing fruits of someone who has been born again. So as we, as I read these, let's not just think about these are some, well, these are just the RPs, denominational standards. This is just the Reformed Presbyterians. But this really is what it looks like to be a Christian. So as we think about this, these are the terms of membership of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Ireland. I accept, number one, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the word of God. And the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Number two, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The only Redeemer of men. Supreme in church and state. And independence on divine grace. I take him as my Savior 
and Lord. Number three, I promise by divine grace to show a teachable and submissive spirit to the teaching of Holy Scripture as set forth in the testimony of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Ireland. And then number four, I promise that by the help of the Holy Spirit, I will endeavor to live a life consistent with my profession. If this is you, we invite you. No matter how weak your faith may be, we as a church invite you to partake on the Lord's Day. Reaffirming your commitment to these terms of membership, no matter how small your faith may be, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the Old and New Testament is the Word of God. Come, that you may be nourished and built up. So with that in mind, let us read now from Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read now from verses 1 to 28. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Now the, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be, for, shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, With unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boil at all with water, but roast in fire. Its head and its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it. In haste, it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, so this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No matter of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat. 
that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this day I will, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. What, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick, up, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood which is in the basin and strike the lintel and two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood in the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. As we are looking at the Old Testament and as we look at rites and of animal sacrifices and other things, we have to acknowledge to ourselves that the blood of animals itself never saved anyone. Not a single person has been saved by the blood of a literal wee lamb. So why did God's people do this as they left behind bondage and slavery in Egypt? Why do all this? Was it for nothing? Not at all. Not at all. It's not the blood of this lamb or these lambs that were slain that would set people free. It is the blood of the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. That would come and would point toward that ultimate blood. That shed blood that would end all shedding of blood. That's why we don't have any animal sacrifices today. The blood has been shed of the Lord Jesus Christ. It pointed forward to the blood that had yet to be shed and would be shed in the future, that his blood would cleanse sin. And as we come to the Lord's table, as we think about the Lord's table in regards to this, we must be sure 
that we ourselves are cleansed with that blood. The blood that this blood points toward of the ultimate Lamb of God. The one that John the Baptist would point towards and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover Lamb points forwards. It is a what we call a type towards the Lamb, that is Christ. But dear friends, we must also, when we go to the Old Testament, there's much it can teach us. There are these wonderful, vivid pictures. So as we dive into this chapter, there's so much it has to teach us. There are so much uh, wonderful things. While we may not do many of these rites today, at the same time, they set before us a glorious image. A glorious picture, a vivid illustration of the gospel itself. Our first point that we're going to look at from Exodus chapter 12 is the lamb who is sinless. The lamb who is sinless. Verse 5. This is speaking about the lamb that would be sacrificed. Your lamb, it says in verse 5, shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. This lamb or, sh- or goat here has to be without blemish. What does this mean, without blemish? And it carries the idea of it being perfectly healthy. Uh, the literal meaning is complete, whole, entire, or wholesome, unimpaired, innocent. Isn't that interesting? Innocent. Uh, the Hebrew word can carry the word innocent, integrity. There's no blemishes there. There's nothing uh, to distract away from its health. It is whole, sound, and helpful. Uh, God's people, I don't know if you notice this in the Old Testament, were not allowed to bring the sick and the maimed animals in their worship before God in the Old Testament because it was a denial of the one who would ultimately bring the perfect sacrifice himself. Only animals without blemish were allowed to be sacrificed. It says this in Malachi, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. You offered defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? They, they don't quite understand how they've defiled. He explains by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? <coughs> And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. And it's very clear that by the time of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament era, they didn't think much of the necessity to offer unblemished animals in their sacrifice. Only a pure offering without blemish was to be offered. Leviticus 22 22 says, Those who are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord. Only the pure is to be offered. Now, what do we take away from that in the New Testament era? Again, we're, we're not offering animals, are we? But we can learn much from this. Only what is pure is to be offered in worship. 
only which comes from the will of God is to be offered in worship. Not from our own minds and our own hearts. Only what is to be, what comes from the Lord's will is to be offered. You see, if we look here what this is a picture of, this lamb without blemish, what does it point towards? A substitute is needed and not just any substitute who would take away the sin of the world. An unblemished substitute. A sinless substitute. An innocent substitute. And what a wonderful picture that is of the lamb. If we think of lambs, we often don't think of them going into, you know, creating trouble like, you know, maybe some animals, you know, like wolves and lions and wild animals. Lambs are meek, innocent. Some might even say cute. So this is what the the Passover lamb is teaching us. When Israel took anything else, we said, well, anything else could save. It's a serious thing. Only what is pure is to be offered in worship. This lamb is but a picture of the lamb, the ultimate lamb that is to come. And there's another picture here that's in this text. There's many pictures, but one picture is the blood has to be applied, doesn't it? It has to be taken. The the lamb has to be killed and applied to the entire congregation. What happens if they miss one of the doorposts? The blood needs to be applied to all the people of God. It says in verses 6 and verse 7 of our text, Now he shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And verse 7, And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they ate it. It wasn't the, oh well, just some houses need to do this. Some houses are a bit more sinful than others. This was the only thing that made any difference between them and the Egyptians. The blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. And the blood needed to be applied. And how is the blood applied to our lives? By faith. How does the blood cover us when the destroyer comes? By faith in Jesus Christ. And if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, if we're trusting in that blood, the destroyer will too pass over us. And that destroyer is death itself. Eternal death. It's an astonishing thing to think about, isn't it, sometimes? You know, the longer we've been in the church, that the only thing that will make any difference between us and the Egyptians, or we could say the world, is the blood of Christ. It's not our church attendance. It's not our giving. It's the blood of Christ If you think of verse 7 in Exodus chapter 11, the previous chapter, it says this, Exodus 11 verse 7, But against none of the children of Israel should a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and and Israel. And you can look at different things there, but what makes the difference between Israel and Egypt? And we see in different parts. It wasn't because you were more in number. It wasn't because you were more impressive. It wasn't because of anything else. But because the Lord set his love upon God's people. 
in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He was the one. It's God who makes the difference. It's God who makes the difference between us and anybody outside of Christ. There's nothing else. You see, dear friends, the destroyer comes and brings death upon, righteous death, upon all those outside of Christ. There's a plague coming over the land of Egypt. All the firstborn are going to be judged and will die. But the destroyer passes over the houses of God's people because of this blood. That's what separates you from your neighbor. Your neighbor might be a drunk. Your neighbor might be involved in crime. Your your neighbor might be involved in horrible things. But the only thing that separates you from your neighbor is the blood of Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else. And this is all we need to trust. And it's the blood of the Lamb of God. Our second point here this evening is the Lamb who is slain. The lamb who is slain. So we've looked at the lamb, who is, the lamb who is sinless. Now we're going to look at the lamb who is slain or killed. How is this blood shed that it might be applied? Uh, we read verses 7. that And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they ate it. And verses 21 and 22. Verses 21 and 22. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves, according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintels and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. They had to be when, when death was passing over, the only thing that would make any difference was this blood. The hyssop was, was sprinkled on each side of the doorpost. And when the destroyer saw that blood, he passed over. And again, this is pointing toward the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what we all need to trust in. And we have to think about it as well. Look who died. The lamb who was slain. He had to die. One had to die in our place. Now, if you told the world this, an innocent person will have to take the death penalty. That's been brought up in the news recently. The death penalty in the place of someone else. They'd probably be like, a miscarriage of justice. It's horrible. It's barbaric. But he came willingly into this world with a mission to die. It's an astonishing thing, isn't it? The King of Glory, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the infinite God, takes upon himself, assumes human flesh, and comes with a mission to die so that we could feed on him spiritually. A substitute. The lamb dies. And even here, the lamb dies so that countless people could live. Think about how many people that and firstborns in the homes of Israel did not die because of that. And this is a picture of how a substitute, the lamb of God, 
dies so that count, countless do not have to die. Not just well, we will all die one day, but we're talking about here eternal death. And I hope one thing we're seeing here as we look at this passage is no longer do we do things in a ceremonial law. It's called the ceremonial law. But while we don't do these things anymore, there's still much for it to teach us, isn't there? Vivid pictures. Glorious pictures. To show us, yes, the horror of sin. If you think about what these places would look like, um, you know, if anybody's ever gone to an abattoir, you know, seeing animals being killed, it's, it's a hard thing to see. Um, but the blood that is shed to set men free, the need of a substitute, setting what before fallen man, death is all around in the ceremonial law, really setting before, this, this world has fallen, all is not right. All is not right. And there's need of a substitute. One who is pure and one who would have to die. There's a sense in which it's so shocking. We've lost the sense of shock. We've lost the sense of shock. The shock in the first century was not only was there a great king coming who would be powerful, would put all his enemies under, under his feet. But how would he do so? He would also be a lamb. That was a big struggle for them to get their heads around. That this Lamb of God was also this great king. He would come victorious, but he would also come and suffer. It would seem like such an affront. It would seem like Peter struggled with this idea. I don't know if you remember this. Peter, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23, struggled with the idea that him... The ultimate Lamb of God would come and die. And and Peter even said this. Um, This is from Matthew chapter 16 verses 21 to 23. From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. From the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Slain. And be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began, and began to rebuke him. I don't know if you've ever been just aghast that you almost have to stop reading your Bible sometimes when you read this. Peter taking the Lord of glory aside and rebuking him. And what does he say? Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you, he said. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Is it possible, Peter struggled with this, is it possible that any of us are struggling with this? This idea that this great, mighty, strong, victorious, glorious king also came to die. That your king is that lamb of God triumphant today but how he died for you now think about this you know if people um, help us in anything and you know in our jobs we're so grateful to them aren't we you know if somebody does anything for us sometimes if somebody lets us out when we're driving lets us cut out into the road we're like we're so thankful we're almost surprised if somebody will do that for us 
We're grateful for the tiniest things. But Jesus died. He died. He, and more than that, he took upon himself, he assumed human flesh so that he could suffer and die. This is the infinite God. And one of the attributes of God and one of the things about God is he cannot suffer. <coughs> but Jesus became flesh so that he could suffer in your place. It's an astonishing thing. He gave up his life. He actually came into this world in order to suffer and die. What will we, what are we holding back? As we approach the Lord's Supper, it's not just about, hey, are you a Christian? But it's more than that. Coming to the Lord's Supper should make us think, you know, those things are getting between me and God. I need to get rid of that thing, whatever that is in my life. It may be movies we watch. It may even be friends that are leading us in the wrong direction. It's not going to be the same for every person. But whatever it is, whatever sin is drawing us away from God, we ought to give God everything, shouldn't we? He has given us everything. The King of glory has given us his life. Would we hold anything back from him? Him who sustains us and keeps us. Number three now, the lamb who is sustenance or, or food. The lamb who is sustenance. So he's sinless, slain, sustenance. His pure life and death are food for the soul. And what happens? I don't think we think about this enough probably in the Western world because we've got fridges, we've got... I know, we've got dominoes, we can ring up, we've got food everywhere. The idea of being hungry is, we haven't eaten in three hours in the West. We struggle with this idea, we really do. But for much of human history, if you don't have enough food, people knew what that meant. Death. That was the big danger. You would die. And you see it along the first century, the deacons and other people would be giving Food to the people outside because if they were there for days without food, they would die. Food is a source of life. And without food, you die. Death. The Lamb of God is the source of eternal life. Verses 8 to 11. This talks about the lamb, the Passover lamb. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head, with its legs, and its entrails. And then it says in verse 11 how none of it is to remain behind afterwards. This lamb of God, there's a picture, isn't it? He is our food. None of it's to remain behind. The Lamb is offering us Himself, isn't He? Even the Lord's Supper, when He comes before it, He says at the Lord, institution of the Lord's table, This is my body. He's offering us visible tokens and expressions of His love. He's offering you. Himself. That's why it's such a serious thing to come before the Lord's Supper. 
For the believer, it is an encouraging thing. But for the unbeliever, it's really trampling upon the body and blood of Christ. But it is food, sustenance for the soul. It is food that satisfies. And none of this is to, to remain. It's, it's a whole sacrifice without blemish. Perfect in everything it sets out to do. And what do we do? Do we feast on some of the lamb? Or in all of it? What do you think the picture here is teaching us? They shall eat the flesh on that night, roast in fire, with bitter herbs they shall eat. Yet none of it, you shall not let none of it remain, verse 10, until morning. None of it is to remain. Each part of the lamb. What about the Christian? Does he feast on each part of the lamb? Eating of the lamb looked like today. Well, our eating and drinking is believing. Places like John chapter 6 bring this out. Believing on him. Trusting him. Growing. uh, And having more of that food. the, The word of God applied to our lives. And as we saw, we were looking there at Sabbath evening on the covenant of grace and how it's so important that we we not only look at the New Testament but also the Old Testament. And when we think about the whole of the Lamb, it's not the whole of the Word of God, the Word of Christ, the Word of the living God. Should we not feed on every part that God has given us? Job said this in Job 23, verse 12. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The word of God is to be our sustenance. It is what we are to feed on. And we need, just like any diet, we need a, a, a range of things to eat, don't we? You know, people will say about vitamins. Vitamins are very good for you. What if somebody said to you, all I eat is vitamin C? Nothing else, just just vitamin C tablets. You're probably going, "Mm, that doesn't sound like the most balanced diet. Um, You should eat vegetables, you should eat meats, you should eat bread, you should eat a bit of everything. And the scriptures gives us a varied diet. There's different types of books in the New Testament. There's poetry. Uh, there's prophetic, um, there's historical narratives, there's books of basically stories. These are things that happen, happened in history, but they teach us spiritual truths. Not every book of the Bible is identical. Some of them are different, some are more challenging than others. But it gives us a variety of scriptures that encourage. But there's also scriptures that drive us away from our sin and bring deep conviction. We need all of it. Dear friends, and by the way, it just depends on our personality which one we'll go towards. I know Christians who are always love to be convicted every five seconds, and I know Christians who only want to see the encouraging passages. We need all of us. We need all of us. We need the whole of the lamb. We need to feed on that. And as we feed on the lamb, look at the picture here that it gives here in verse 8. With unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Bitter herbs, that's an interesting picture, isn't it? And where do those herbs grow? In the land of Egypt. The bitterness of where they have left behind is still there. They have not 
yet left this world. It's bitter elements we have in this world. But the thing is, dear friends, they are not pleasant to our taste anymore. Egypt is to be fled from because, uh, number four now we're going to look at, the lamb who is setting free. The lamb who is setting free. He's sinless, he's slain, he's sustenance, and he is setting free. In coming to the Lord's table next Sabbath, you are saying, Christ, the blood of the Lamb of God has set me free. I am ready with the staff in my hand, with my waist girdled, as it says in the scriptures, with my sandals on, and I am ready to go. Yes, you may struggle, but if you struggle, come. As long as you are looking to Jesus, the, the, the Lord's Supper is for you, so that you may taste more of that freedom. You don't need more strategies, dear friends. You need more of Christ. More of Christ. But slaves of sin must not bring more wrath upon their own heads. What does the blood set us free from? It says this in verses 12 and 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on the night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when, you, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. What's it set us free from? Death. No longer is that sword of eternal death hanging over our heads. There's a picture as well, a wonderful picture in verse 11 that talks about our freedom and our readiness to go. And it says in verse 11, and thus you shall eat it. And as you're eating it, how do you eat it? With a belt. There's an idea here of they had long robes back at that time. There was a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so that they shall eat it in haste and a rush. It is the Lord's Passover. It's like they're almost ready just to run out the door. Where are they going towards? Where are they going? They're leaving behind Egypt, a land of captivity, a land of sin, a land of cruelty, bondage. And where are they going towards? Canaan. And not just a physical Canaan, if they're looking toward the true, ultimate blood of Christ, a heavenly Canaan. One with, without war, one where is peace, and one where the enemies have been driven out. The blood of the Lamb is enough for all this. Once the blood has been applied, you are free. That is all you need. Free from sin, where peace is the result. You see, dear friends, there's a sense in which when we're on this earth, we are not here. This is not our home. We are a journeying people. There's a sense in which we are a journeying people. We are on a journey toward our permanent, eternal home. We're not there yet. 
We're never going to be completely comfortable here, are we, as believers in Jesus Christ? Sin is going to, to make us, well, sad and weep. We are, as the Bible will say, sometimes will say in older language, sojourners. That, you know, they travel from place to place. We are traveling from Egypt and we travel towards Canaan, heavenly Canaan. And the thing is, dear friends, I say this because we're a journeying people. Where should we long for? Do we long for Egypt or do we long for Canaan? What happened when they were on the way towards the wilderness and they got some of the fruit of the land of Canaan? Many of them spoke evil of that land. Come to the table, dear friends, this Sabbath day, if you long for Canaan. You long for the blessings it brings. You long for the rest, for the joy, that peace that passes all understanding. And there's such a freedom spoken about here. And when there's a freedom spoken about here, what happens? Freedom is promoted within the body, within the body of God's people. In verses, in verse 15, it says this of our text. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the, on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. It's interesting, isn't it? There's a, almost a kind of a church discipline being carried out, not in a kind of an innocent mistake, but in an outward expression of, well, leaven was seen as a picture of sin here. It was teaching something wrong. That leaven or sin here doesn't matter. And that the wrath of God would not come upon them as a people. That the wrath of God would not come upon. And that sin would not have dominion and rob them. This is what sin does. It robs you of that freedom brought by the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7. Therefore purge out the old leaven. That you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Dear friend, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've left behind Egypt. You're a journeying person. You're weary in many respects. You're tired. But you do not want to look back to Egypt. You don't want to go back there. You can't wait for Canaan. The wilderness is difficult. There's much suffering along the way. And you need sustenance and strength. If that is you, come to the table of the Lord. But if you are one of those people who's looking back to Egypt. Mrs. Egypt. Don't come. Only come if you've looked to Jesus Christ. The ultimate and final Lamb of God. Amen.